This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. All these, you know, actors have grown up with this show, um, yeah. which is mind-blowing. I know. To see them grow is, I mean, you watch them grow and you see them become these amazing adults, which is nice. But then you also watch them grow and you're like, shoot, how much more length is in those pants? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Art of Costume broadcast. I am co-president of the Hellfire Club, Spencer Williams. <laughs> uh, I am so excited to be here. Um, unfortunately, Elizabeth could not. She is stuck somewhere in the Upside Down. But don't worry, Elizabeth. We're all looking for you. Eventually, we will find you. <laughs> Maybe. I'm so excited. We're in the middle of spooky season. We've already done some great spooky films um, but today's episode really is one that's near and dear to my heart. I've been working on doing a Stranger Things episode since the third season of Stranger Things. So it's been a little while. So I mean, cat's out of the bag. Today's episode is about Stranger Things season four. I am so excited. This season was so good. Um, gosh, so good. Daniel and Chloe... Uh, we're actually here to visit me when this season came out. And we, I mean, we were supposed to be doing other things, but we want to get home as soon as possible and watch Stranger Things together. It it was so fun. This season was by far my favorite. I love how dark it got, how emotional it was, how powerful it was. And I'm just counting down the days until season five comes out, honestly. But until then, let's talk about season four Let's go behind the wardrobe, dive into the upside down. Let's start with a summary. Still reeling from the events of last year, the gang tries to move on with their lives. However, a threat is brewing in the upside down. Set in March 1986, the fourth season is split between different plot lines. In Hawkins, several teenagers are killed in mysterious ways. While in California, Mike Wheeler visits Eleven and his friends. But unfortunately, the vacation ends abruptly. Meanwhile, Joyce Byers, played by the legendary Winona Ryder, my hero, Joyce learns that Jim Hopper may still be alive and makes a trip to a lovely prison camp in Russia. And that is the summary for season four of Stranger Things. Going behind the wardrobe, we have costume designer Amy Paris, my good friend. We, you know, we've never met in person, but we're texting and messaging all the time. So happy for her. Um, I can't say congratulations enough on this season. Um, some for notable work. She has been assistant costume designer on some incredible films like A Wrinkle in Time. She also was assistant on shows such as Westworld. You all know one of my favorite shows and Masters of Sex. She was a costumer on the film Her. And she was the costume designer on season three of Stranger Things, which really was incredible. Uh some of my favorite TV costumes of all time until season four of Stranger Things came out. Um, and also she has some upcoming projects that I'm really excited for you all to find out about. 
With all this being said, we have an incredible episode for you all. Instead of listening to me go on and on about Stranger Things, why don't we hear from the legend herself? Costume designer Amy Paris is here, everyone. But first, we're going to take a quick little break. But when we come back, me and Amy are going to have a conversation about season four. You are going to love her. I promise this is going to be so much fun. This is Dan, audio engineer of the Blogcast. Just wanted to let you know that if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash theartofcostume. There we post unheard bloopers, highlights, and bonus episodes just for our patrons. Make sure to check out the description for all of our links. And thank you for all of your support. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to finally talk to you. We've been trying to meet up since the third season of Stranger Things. It's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. And thank you for being so gracious and and asking me. I'm happy to be a part of it. Of course. I'm so excited. Okay. Stranger Things season four was so good. Um, My favorite season for sure. It was dark. It was emotional. It was powerful. The 80s vibes were stronger than ever. It just was giving everything. And you even topped your costumes from season three. So congratulations. It's been a whirlwind. (laughs) That's a nice compliment. Thank you. It was a hard season because of COVID especially. So there was a lot of challenges and I was hoping we could top season three. So thank you for saying that. Right. How long were you guys on season four? Must have been a long time. Yeah, in total, it was about two years because there was the good six months break that we had with COVID. Um, so I think, yeah, it was like basically two years with a, with wow. a six break. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, gosh. Well, season four was all about transition. Um, you went through a lot. The crew went through a lot and the characters went through a lot. Uh, we now have our characters being split between three different locations, Hawkins, California, and Russia. Uh, so just to start, what was this challenge like? Was it exciting? Was it difficult to kind of split your costume mind in three different directions? How did you tackle this? Yeah, it was a big undertaking that that I think if I would have, if this would have been my first season, I would have been even more daunted. Right. I started on season three. And, um, so with this season, luckily I was a little bit more familiar with the actors and the showrunners and just the vibe of the show. And so I was able to kind of compartmentalize it and develop color palettes and specifics within each location so that it would be a quick way for the audience to know where we, not that they wouldn't know, but just an even quicker, like obvious way of knowing where they were when we'd see these people in different areas So when we ended up starting, I think we started with episode three and four, really, we kind of, we block shoot it. So you do two episodes at once and we were out of order and then COVID happened. And then we were really kind of all over the place trying to get as much done. So it gets a major whiplash on that one. (laughs) Major. So, you know, it's a lot for my team and I to kind of like 
follow and track, but that also gives you more time to prepare for some outfits, you know? So um, in some instances, it was printing fabric or weaving sweaters for um, the Russia stuff, for example. When we first started prep pre-COVID, they sent me and my supervisor over to Poland because there's a great uh, costume house out there called Hero Costume. And they did have some uh, uh, like original Russian uniforms, uh, but not enough. So we asked them to make them for us and they were able to do that. So the prep starts, you know, ahead of time and then it can carry through for months until, for example, until those Russian uniforms were on camera. So it's a lot, but you just got to like put your head in the sand or put your head down, so to speak, and then just go for it. <laughs> That's so much. And it, it really speaks to the testament of how incredible your crew was as well. I mean, this there's a lot happening in this season, and it came together so seamlessly. You'd have no idea that you all had the challenges that were presented right. to you and other costume design teams. Absolutely. I mean, that really threw a wrench into the system. And then having crews split up in three different areas, you know, like Georgia for Hawkins, New Mexico for California and Lithuania for Russia. So I couldn't have done it without such a good team and everybody in each location worked so hard. So I'm so grateful for all their help. <laughs> That's insane. Lots of FaceTime calls, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you and I... um Love California. So let's dive into California first. Um, it was so fun when I originally found out that the Hawkins crew is moving to California. I was like, this is perfect. Excited to see it. Mm -hmm. um, I love the colors of their outfits. Very highlighter-esque. Um, Mike comes to visit and he's in his best like LAX tourist mm -hmm. outfit. Yeah. We have Jonathan's new friend, Argyle, who flawless. Love him. <laughs> it, so talk to me a little bit about design of costumes for the now California location. Yeah. So it's Lenora Hills, which is a fictional spot, but we knew that it was sort of meant to be kind of like San Bernardino area. And I was which actually is where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, I actually, yeah, I'm from Marietta, California, which is sort of, you know, within Riverside County. So that part was kind of familiar and <laughs> that's so funny yeah so i found a bunch of yearbooks from the region and signed up for classmates.com and you know you, you can tell so much about a person with a headshot or you know a yearbook photo because you can see how they do their makeup and their hair and you can tell at least half of what their outfit is so you know it just showed a good selection and a good variety of people but what i wanted to make sure we did for california was sort of take away any plaid that felt so hawkins and only keep it on 11 and will really, you know, it was closed right. with them. So you won't really see plaid on anybody in California. And, you know, the angles of the clothes, the colors are brighter and sharper. It's just a little more fashion forward. Um, just so it stands out more from Hawkins. And we're still in 86. And it's really like 87 and beyond that things get super neon. So it was just just about to be neon, like pre-neon. And you know, there's a few shoulder pads, but nothing too big, nothing too crazy, just because that... Isn't Dipping quite your 80s. feet in the 80s water. <laughs> yeah, and it was fun to get to do those like crazy patterns and and just a little bit more of a fashionable silhouette that was so cool. It's so interesting, too, that I mentioned that uh, Will and Eleven are still wearing plaid because to me, they are kind of still stuck in... I mean, they've had traumatic lives in Hawkins, so it's no wonder that they're still stuck in their Hawkins garbs a little bit. Definitely. And Eleven's, you know, hand-me-downs now at this point because maybe she did bring some mall clothes with her, but Max isn't there to help her, you know, figure out how to wear clothes the same way. <laughs> so it's, you know, that Joyce would have given her or stuff that, 
Will or Jonathan had grown out of. So it should feel like a mix of closets. The California scenes actually are pretty emotional and sad, but there's some oh, really bright, exciting moments. Like, for example, the roller rink scene, obsessed with it. I mean, we all <laughs> saw it in the trailer and we were just ready to go. <laughs> yeah. When I read that in the script, I got so excited to get to do a roller rink in the 80s. I mean, that's a dream come true. <laughs> right. Mm. I mean, I haven't gone roller skating forever, but I was ready to go rent some skates. It probably would end <laughs> yeah. badly, but like the idea sounds good. We would skate at lunch, not every time, but you know, if there was when there was a lunch break and if someone had time, we'd use some of the rental skates. <laughs> the crew were really good. <laughs> I love when people are like roller skating backwards, just kind of showing everyone up for no reason. You're like, please don't do that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's like an accident. <laughs> You're right. So let's dive into these costumes. Uh, it was so fun. Like I said, some darker moments, but I love the silhouettes, the colors combined with that Tarzan boy soundtrack. I mean, yeah. addicted to that song. Never thought I would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you come up with these looks? Well, we're very lucky that because we had time, and knew that the roller rink scene was coming up, but we didn't end up going to Albuquerque till later in the schedule. There was a moment where we were going to go back and forth to Albuquerque to shoot New Mexico, or yeah, to shoot in New Mexico for California. But we saved that till the end of the season. So as my shoppers and I were pulling clothes, we would set aside stuff that felt specific to the roller rink. So if it was, you know, like stretchy like pants or shiny fabrics that we knew would catch the light really well we were able to put that aside throughout the season so we had a good you know year and a half to like curate really good roller rink clothes and we're lucky in that we have that prep time to find the real pieces so nearly everything here is like unique vintage i shouldn't say unique it, it is unique at this point because not a right. lot of that stuff is still around but it's legit pieces is kind of what i'm saying you know it's like all real from the 80s and like the girl in red you know that red set it's like this incredible two-piece set and so often you see a you know a top that looks like it should have a, a, a matching skirt or a pant and vice versa so it's such a dream when you find a set that's still together um and we were able to kind of make sure those were front and center because we wanted to show that off there's some pieces from etsy and ebay that felt super like late 70s early 80s just to kind of push the glory days of roller rink and yeah, just like thinking on knowing it would be dark with light that would strobe. So shiny fabrics, things that would reflect metallics. And we had so much fun dressing the stunt people that are around 11 when she is sort of in that circle with Angela. That's all stunt players. And so that was fun because, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that the outfit would function well for them because they're skating and doing tricks and stuff. So we just had the best time fitting roller rink in New Mexico. It was so fun. I could imagine. I'm just, it, like you said, it's so fun. I love this scene. I um, mean, every time you watch it, you see some different costume that you didn't yeah. see the first time, which yeah, is totally. part of fun. And like the, there's a picture that we're looking at and the person in the, on the top right photo, if you go towards the back, there's like a Letterman jacket. So we're imagining that that's the Letterman jacket. We built a couple for um, Lenora High, you know, and we don't really ever see that or showcase it, but there would be, you know, kids from the high school in town. So we were able to make some of those jackets ahead of time and sprinkle them through the high school. And then, of course, they'd be going skating. So there's so many little details within each frame that if you do pause and kind of take a look, you'll find something exciting and interesting. <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, mm -hmm. And just while we're on the subject real quickly, um, something I've been talking about lately has been sustainability and costume design and how costume designers can 
and practice more sustainable efforts. Is that, do you feel like that's really with, you know, shopping a lot of these vintage looks and trying to reuse looks instead of creating new ones? Yes. I think that's so important. And I'm glad that we're talking about it more because with, with period fashion, with vintage clothing and period fashion, it's really nice to be able to use stuff that already exists because it's the real thing with contemporary. It can feel a little, you know, it's so mass produced and fashion is so fast now that it's just being cranked out and thrown in stores. And then say you get an approval on something you need a multiple for, if you go back to get it, it's already gone. So it's speeding up quicker and it's making it harder for contemporary. So with period stuff, it's nice to use the real thing. And it's important to kind of keep, keep it real because it's true to the period, but then it's also important to like protect our environment, you know, and not recreate if you don't have to. Um, So it's really nice that we're focusing on that. And I do see a shift within productions and within costume departments where we're trying to utilize dead stock or, you know, recycle things more. I think it's important for on contemporary shows, people should be repeating clothing because you're seeing that in your own life, you don't wear one thing once, usually, you know, you wear right. things multiple times. So it just makes it more real if we would keep reusing. So I think it's important. And I'm glad that's sort of a shift that we're seeing. Great. Well, yeah, thank you for saying that. And I really think it's so important that everyone's listening because um, we do have a lot of costume designers and costume crews listening. Um, such an important issue that everyone needs to have on top of mind. Yeah. Um, something else that's on top of mind is Eleven's look uh, <laughs> for a good part of California scenes. I love it because, like you mentioned, uh, Max isn't here to help Eleven get dressed. So to me, this look is so perfectly not perfect. It makes so mm-hmm. much sense how she's layering this. It reminds me of like the vintagey like uh, cups you would put like a soda in at like a food. Oh court. right, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And she has a milkshake thrown on her. So as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh, I got to ask Amy about that. You know that there's a story behind this dress. There definitely is. And that dress is based off of a real dress from the 80s, but we reprinted the fabric because we knew we need a lot of multiples. Right. And we, I mean, there's subtle details in that the squiggle lines on top of the colorful lines are yellow and pink. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like adjusted. So it's on the top left and the bottom right of this kind of four square panel of the front and the back of the dress. So we matched our patterns because we, you know, printed the fabric and we were able to make matching multiples. But what's also important in matching is the stain. And the milkshake. So, <laughs> you know, you've got Sounds a, impossible, honestly. I mean, it's the, yeah. So we broke it down knowing that there would be Millie wearing it. There would be a photo double wearing it. There would be a stunt person wearing it. There might even be like a stunt skate person wearing it. You know, you kind of have to plan ahead before you know for sure what you need. So I think we built 12 dresses. And then our prop master Nico bought a milkshake for us, like as an assortment, you know, we tried chocolate, vanilla and strawberry <laughs> and it felt like the chocolate kind of made the most sense. And we really just like physically were like, well, what will this look like? So we put it on um, a dress form that we covered in plastic and then threw the milkshake on the dress. And it was the first try and it looked good. And we got approval from the Duffer brothers and they were like, yep, yeah, this is great. So that's what it should look like. So then we've got, you know, like a milkshake stain then you have to kind of go backwards and then paint it in for all the dresses where it would be after the scene. And what's confusing is you actually see her get thrown, um, you know, a milkshake is actually thrown on her in the, in the show, right? which happens in the moment so that we have that action. But any time previous to that is the painted milkshake dress on anybody <laughs> that is not her. But Millie wore the actual scrambling my brain. <laughs> I know it's a lot. You know, and somebody was like, that must smell bad. And somehow it doesn't, even though it was like milk, you know, milkshake and dairy, it like 
it like dried in the heat of Albuquerque and then just was just <laughs> stained. Like there was no smell. There was no gross. It was just like pigment on the dress. And so, yeah, that's kind of how you achieve that, I guess. <laughs> that That's an insane story. I just can't yeah. even believe it. It's such a like simple concept people listening to this probably think, but no, this is such probably one of the more complicated looks of the entire series, I assume. Yeah, yeah it was. And it's just like, in order to get it right, let's just see what it looks like. And sometimes you don't have time in TV to get to do that. So we're lucky that we had time to set up a space to throw the milkshake, to paint it in. Sometimes you'll just have to like imagine, okay, this might be it. And then you just paint it real quick or, you know, there's other ways to do it faster, but we had the time to do it this way, luckily. Oh, man. Um, but the challenges kept on rolling in for you. Uh, in season three, there's a few Russian uniforms, I would say. But season four, we go to Russia, um, allegedly. And it looks so real and so beautifully done. You know, it's hauntingly beautiful, I would say. So how did you approach creating especially the uniforms for all the Russian soldiers? Yeah, most are real, especially for the the soldiers. The prisoners are, um, a lot of those were made for us. So our prep started in Poland and that's where we use hero costume to build the multiples. And it was a really like durable twill fabric that is over dyed um, to have that dark indigo color, which is what it would have been. But some of them sprinkled in within some of these prisoners were the real uniforms, which had all their color leached out. Some were kind of a gray tone. Some actually had you know, original dirt and possibly even blood stains on them. It was pretty, wow. pretty real, the actual aging of the real ones. And so we wanted to break those down to match. And that was something that takes 40 to 50 years, right? And then you have <laughs> near hours sometimes to break them down if you have last minute casting. So um, we had some really, really talented breakdown artists helping us in Lithuania with that. Um, but yeah, like, for example, the picture that we're looking at on the top left, David Harbour has a prisoner hat, and that's a real prisoner hat, and mixed with a newly remade prisoner uniform. And Sean Levy had the idea to put um, on his patch, if you look closely, it says American in Cyrillic. <laughs> which, you know, everybody would have had, you know, like a, maybe their last name or some kind of code on their jacket. But instead of giving him something that would have been someone else's they would have made one specific to him you know they i would've... never noticed that yeah <laughs> if you look real closely it says american and cyrillic i love it i'm still finding details in the show mm-hmm. <laughs> all these months later um yeah and i mean when, when you see these photos like with it with the set and the makeup and the hair like when it all comes together it is pretty beautiful in a dirty way <laughs> I cannot imagine the feeling of your crew member when they saw like legit blood on one of the garments. Well, you know, what's crazy. The background artists, you know, the people that are like standing in frame behind the actors are in like cold, hard leather boots. They're putting on these uniforms and they are so tough. They looked like prisoners. They had like, you know, there's just real European faces. They looked so good and they were so chill. I was like, aren't you freezing? And they're like, no, they're used to it. They're from Lithuania. We're not daunted by the blood at all. That is, <laughs> I, I I love this story. I heard it from you for, we did another project together a couple of weeks ago. And when I heard that, I was ready to grab the microphone. I could talk about this part <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, something else I could talk about forever. Winona Ryder playing Joy Spires. I just love her. I just have to ask, what is it like designing costumes for Winona Ryder? 
It's amazing. She's a legend, you know, she is such an icon and she's perfect in this role as Joyce. And it was nice meeting her in season three because she helped guide me in the way that like, this is how Joyce would wear clothes and this is why she would wear them the way she does. And it's not about fashion. You know, it's, she's a mother, she's concerned for her kids. She's working hard to stay afloat as a single mother. So, um, it's great to dress her and she's so awesome. And early on, she brought in some of her original jeans that were jeans from her parents <laughs> that she wanted to wear in some of the scenes. And it's hard because a lot of times an actor is photo doubled. So we needed multiples, you know, and they were these really beautiful, unique denim, denim jeans. So early on, we were able to use a couple pairs when it was a very fast scene. But then if there was a scene that we'd use them on later, we'd match the multiple as best we could for a photo double or a stunt person so that she could use the real vintage ones. So it's been such a treat to work with her. She's amazing. I love that story. And you bring up something else I want to ask. How collaborative is Stranger Things? Do you find yourself working with the actors and actresses a lot when looking into their costumes? I do. And I think um, coming in on season three, by then these people are, you know, know the actors the best or, you know, the actors know the characters the best. So I really relied on them to tell me what feels right for this character. And even still, especially with Millie as 11, what feels like 11. And sometimes we were like, I don't know, in a good way though, you know, (laughs) right. Cause she doesn't know. And so there was a moment where she, I think I told the story already too, but she came on the set and we were like, how do you feel? And she's like, not like 11, but I think that's good. Cause she's out of place. She's not in Hawkins. She's in a new school. Would I wear this outfit? You know, is a good question. That's something she should be asking as 11 because 11 doesn't know either. So right. um, it's super collaborative. And I love having those conversations with the actors. It's such a, your, this show is unique too. And since that a lot of these, you know, actors have grown up with the show, um, yeah. which is mind blowing. I know to see them grow is, I mean, you watch them grow and you see them become these amazing adults, which is nice. But then you also watch them grow and you're like, shoot, how much more length is in those pants? (laughs) 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 What's in the, what's in the inside, you know? Um, But we always make it work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Someone who's really made it work, I would say, Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson, who's Mm -hmm. taking over the world since the show's come out. I mean, admittedly, I'm obsessed with him, too. (laughs) Yeah. The way that Joseph transformed this role, it's so good. So first, I have to ask you about the story behind the Hellfire Club shirt. And then I just want to talk about designing Eddie Munson's costumes in general. Well, like you said, he transformed. You know, I saw him with my crew. We were in the parking lot one day at Screen Gems where we shoot this in Atlanta. And we were like, who's walking towards us? Who's waving at us? Who is that? You know, like it was Joe <laughs> Quinn, but we didn't recognize him because with the with the wig and the outfit and the attitude, he'd become such a different person. And when you see him outside of that, it was like, who is that? But um, it was it was really fun to start with the Hellfire Club shirt. That was something that was scripted, that it would be a shirt that looked like the kids had made it themselves as a group. Right. And so there were a few iterations of it. Um, and it was between we ended up kind of narrowing into two different designs between the production designers, artist, and then a graphic artist that I was using. And it was so important to the Duffer brothers to just get it right. So there was quite a few sort of like revisions of it. And ultimately, I think that this one was chosen because it just does look like kind of hand drawn and it's super influenced by real D&D kids from the 80s. I've got some great images of a bunch of like science club and D&D clubs (laughs) where a lot of the kids were in, uh, you know, 
baseball t-shirts and we knew that white would help the logo stand out and then the black sleeves just felt like eddie and like kind of the D D club would pick black and white so we went with that combo we had tried the other way where it was black with white sleeves but you wanted it to stand out so that you could see the dirt as he ages throughout the you know season or as he gets dirtier throughout the season not ages but um yeah <laughs> i get what you mean <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so that was important to do and then you know the layers upon it i knew i wanted to do like a leather jacket with a cutoff vest and the vest is so good and it's an original levi's like blanket line trucker jacket with the sleeves ripped off and because the aging is so good it's so hard to recreate that so we spent many times on ebay etsy trying to find multiples that we could at least sort of leach the color out if we needed to, to match the aging. Right. So I'm sure that now a lot of people have found multiples online to recreate oh, yeah. this costume. But at the time, <laughs> there was a few that were able to, you know, be purchased. And so there's sort of like one hero hero. But within that, there's about six, five to six others that are used between him or a photo double or a stunt double or Joe Keery when he's Steve, right? who also wears it. So and that was another COVID problem. You couldn't really share clothes, right? So they oh, each yeah. had a version and then they had like a dry and a wet. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in it that is involved in it. And then, you know, the little details, like we're looking at a photo of the leather jacket where you can see the chain over the zipper. Yes. And that was something I saw someone do that it was like someone's jacket had clearly like not worked anymore. The zipper wouldn't work. And so they had put this metal chain in there and that's like, you know, it's thick leather and it was something... I'm sure my breakdown artist was probably like, do I have to do this? But look at you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's rare moments like this exact shot, you know, which is so cool. Joe looks so cool. And then you see that hard work. So the littlest detail you think, oh, you, no one will ever see it. But then you've got this photo where everyone can see it. So it's kind of nice when you hold to your guns and get those details in there. Right. It paid off. So then how do you decide on, you know, he really personalizes his jacket. How do you decide on like the bands represented? Is that more of a script thing or were you listening to some metal music and you're like, I mean, I'm I, gonna... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I chose, <laughs> good question. I chose Dio. I chose the Dio shirt on the back of his jacket because in a lot of my research of like metal kids, there was tons of Dio and it was huge. And it was, you know, this wizard metal that these kids were listening to. Yeah. And the graphic artist, Trevor Gerard, who did the Hellfire Club logo also helped me because I was like, would he also listen to this band? So he kind of was like, here's a good group of bands that would also be people. You know, if you're listening to Dio, you're probably listening to all these bands. Right. So <laughs> see what we could find. We were able to find a lot of original Judas Priest enamel pins and we recreated the Wasp pin because I think there was only one of those. Wow. I think we've got Merciful Fate on there. We've got Accept on there, Motorhead, Megadeth, Iron Maiden. So it all kind of, yes, I was listening to it, but also I didn't want to do it wrong. So I had a few people tell me like, okay, that might be not quite the band, but this one would be. So it was definitely like conferred before it was all on there. Right. Because Eddie wouldn't listen to a band that was not cool. Right. So you have to <laughs> really share right. your opinions on that. It was a specific genre for sure. <laughs> Uh, before I continue, I didn't even show you my phone case. It's Hellfire Stop. Club. So you know, <laughs> so you know that my nerding out is authentic. It's oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> All right, so I'm excited to talk about Sadie Sink killed it this season. I, I mean, she so was good. incredible. And I'm like a newly converted Max fan too. Like I just oh. loved what she did in this season. It was so good. Yeah. I so have some good. theories about her look. You could tell me if I'm right or not close. Is she wearing this blue 
bright blue look so she could kind of stand out in the upside down because unfortunately Max spends a lot of time in the upside down compared to these other characters. (laughs) Right. I mean, the outfit was uh, approved before we kind of knew about the hellscape and we're looking at a picture at the bottom right where it's really red and really dark and so I that came after the outfit was approved and I'm so glad and lucky it worked out that way because I think if we had put her in darker clothes it really would have been harder to not only see her but then also to show all the blood and the guck and the goop that happens down there so (laughs) we knew that 11 would be there and the the all-white outfit was really cool I'm I'm excited for that too but it kind of just worked out in one of those kismet ways that it was meant to be this outfit in that hellscape region so to speak so then what was the idea then behind max's costume because it it really works i she's a little bit a character harder to read which i really think is the point yeah it is and this felt like pieces that she would have had from say california that she would have brought out to hawkins because they're a little brighter right and right and it's also it's a baggier sweatshirt and she's while she's in mourning it's not as dark as you would anticipate it becomes a little bit darker later but it definitely kind of swallows her up and is sort of like a coverage just to hide herself. You know, it's sort of like she wants to be receding into her, you know, mourning in a quiet way, but the outfit's not very quiet, but I feel like it all kind of worked out. I mean, it's all custom made aside from the jeans, but we made the shirt and the hoodie or the the sweatshirt. And I think it just kind of feels like her sunny California version of herself, but she's inside tortured and sad and really upset about her brother dying. Right. That's so complex, actually. And I'm, I I love the way you described it because it makes all sense now in my head. Um, yeah. She's trying to cover up, but mm-hmm. maybe she's using those California colors to like make things not feel as dark, even though exactly. <laughs> they're pretty dark. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, so interesting. Uh, one person I was talking to on the Internet. Uh, brought this up and I can't stop seeing it now. I love it. Uh, seeing our Hawkins crew head into the upside down to fight Vecna, super badass. When they got into their battle armor, they're yeah. kind of giving me like low key Lost Boys energy. Is that like a did I pick up on something or is that just yeah. the best oh, coincidence sure. ever? No, for sure. I think that was in the script too. It was like they've dressed up, they've put on this battle gear a la Red Dawn, you know, like and it worked out perfectly. So Dustin in the hood with the bandana, you know, it's the bandana that's camouflage, which is actually the one that Lucas keeps wearing over his head. Oh, yeah. I don't really know that if anybody had picked up on that. I'm sure there are some fans that noticed. But I did um, now. Now I can't see it. Like, I see it. (laughs) Yeah. At first, I wanted to add, you know, some more pops of brighter colors. I think we tried a red one, but it just seemed too like in your face. And so we were like, well, why wouldn't he borrow Lucas's, you know? And so... It's Lucas's headband now on Dustin. But that was the thing that Patrick Swayze did in the movie where he had put a headband over a hoodie. So we certainly took influence from those movies, those great 80s movies. I love it, especially on uh, Maya Hawks. Uh, gosh, what do yeah. you call this piece? Um, uh, what are these hats called? A little, it's like a paratrooper beret, so to speak. A beret. I, think, <laughs> I don't know why I can't yeah, say beret. beret. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the beret screamed everything Lost Boys to me when I saw that I was yes. like yeah that's the piece yeah and you know <laughs> she's gone shopping with everybody they're in a hurry to find gear but that doesn't stop her from like looking cute and getting a cute little beret 
Right. And I mean, they might think this might be the end of their life anyway. So might as well right. go Why out as badasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, while we're in uh, the upside down, there's a lot of, uh, as we were talking about, there's a lot of aging and distressing that happens to these characters, especially when they're in upside down. <laughs> how did you, yeah. how do you work uh, on that in the costumes? Cause I'm sure part of it's also VFX, but then part of it affects the costumes as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, a good example is like a lot of these flak vests that are on them are legit to the period. So they're already worn in and distressed. Steve's bomber jacket, the brown leather was already pretty distressed too, but we added a bunch of patches. And it was fun to get to work with Joe Keery on that because they're custom made patches and they all have some specific um, personalized patches because they asked him like, do you have a favorite number or like, a, you know, a favorite pet name or color or something when we make all these patches. And so he gave us references for like an old dog's name and a current pet's name and an old um, nickname of his dad wow. and you know like stuff that we were able to infuse in these like military influenced patches that are along the sleeves of the jacket. And they're bright when you get them made and we had to make five of each, I think. So then we had to sew them on the jacket and then tech them down. So every piece gets hit with some dust or some dirt in some way. Sometimes it's paint. Nancy's vest that she wears on top of her quilted jacket, those were made and based off of like a duck hunting, you know, canvas jacket. <laughs> so luckily with a lot of this, it was sort of already at that level. And then we just kind of accentuated it or balanced it out with other pieces and then had to tech those down to match. Uh, so fun. Uh, definitely some of the best costumes in the entire show. It's an underrated moment because it is mm -hmm. a darker scene. But like yeah. when you actually get them in that light, you could see all these details. Yeah. Um, and this is why I love doing this podcast. How would I ever know about these patches on Joe Keery's look? So. I know, they're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, back to the, the collaboration with actors, you know, like it's nice to be able to have when you have the time to make patches, if you have the time to go, hey, do you want you know, to have anything on them that means something to you. Right. So, What's your favorite number? Like, <laughs> I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite pieces from the show, I cannot get over this look. Um, I, first of all, I have to say thank you for posting so much behind the scenes on your Instagram. I think everyone should take a lesson from you <laughs> because oh. <laughs> it's just so fun seeing the Scantron look on the Dustin was one of so the fun. highlights of the season. Yeah. How did you create this? <laughs> Um, you know, we found that fabric in Atlanta, Georgia at one of the shops out there. And as I saw it and I was like, oh, gosh, that looks like Scantron fabric. And amongst a lot of the research I was doing, there was a moment where there was a fashion trend of drawing on your clothes. And I think I saw an ad for like a sweater that came with markers. You could buy the sweater from a magazine. I think you called a phone number or, you know, like <laughs> sent in your money <laughs> through the mail and they would send you this sweatshirt with like three colored markers that you could color in on the sweater. So, you know, I'm it just kind of happened to be, I had seen that recently. And then I see the Scantron fabric and I'm like, well, that's exactly what he would do is like draw on these bubbles and make his own because, you know, I think he's such a smart kid that he's one of those kids that probably is so bored in school because he already knows it. Right. You know? So right. bet, it's just like bet, algebra, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I bet Dustin would be the type to be so bored, but in a, you know, in a good way, he'd use his time wisely and then make this beautiful artwork on his shirt. So <laughs> this was also done by Trevor who did the hellfire 
club logo. And I said, you know, could we do some like video game in imagery? So it's kind of like Zelda themed. And then down at the bottom, we're looking at a photo of the back of Dustin's shirt. And that's kind of the Will the Wise at the bottom. It's sort of the little Will wizard costume. Right. And he's the one with, you know, the staff that has this like breathing dragon and the fire goes over the shoulder. So uh, it's so good. There needs to be like a Stranger Things museum one day. And this is like the front <laughs> piece. Cool. <laughs> it's so That'd good. That would be really cool. Um, I feel like I would hang out with Dustin. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun to post some behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, and I always ask the actors before I do it. I wouldn't post pictures from fittings if they didn't approve because that's kind of an intimate moment and intimate time between a designer and an actor. Um, but I think that they're luckily these kids are kind of used to it at this point. And I also think it's like, why not showcase the work that we're doing so people can see how much is involved, you know? Yeah. I mean, that shirt deserves to see the world, um, and vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. But that it's, there's a level of trust there that you have to maintain. So I, I mean, yeah, I love that the idea that you asked the actors and actresses before. That makes perfect sense. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And no one's ever said, oh, don't show it. But, you know, I would never want to show a picture that they're not happy with. So I would always ask first. Right. All right. So we're coming to the end here, but I cannot let you go before we talk about a certain legend that we had on this <laughs> season, which yeah. I was going crazy because I'm like, I hope everyone watching the show knows who's in these in this know. small role. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Englund, who plays Victor Creel, Freddy Krueger himself. What? That is insane. I know. Amy. <laughs> I know. Such a legend. When we got the casting, we were just like, what? <laughs> the whole room was like, oh my God. <laughs> that was so cool. What was uh, it like working with him? I just can't even imagine. I'd be terrified. You know, it wasn't scary in that way because it was just like, I want to make sure that this is right for him because he came in and our fitting, I think, was just like on a Friday and he was going to shoot on Monday. Oh, you know, no it was pressure. one of those moments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, often, especially with TV, casting can be what feels like last minute for us. But, you know, once they have to like arrange the deals and stuff, there's just so much involved. So um, unfortunately, it it becomes a last minute thing where it feels like costumes never gets enough time to prep. But um, we knew that character was coming and we knew he would be in an institution. So we had some ideas knowing that um, Victor Creel, we kind of knew what he would be doing, but we didn't know who the actor was. And then once we got the go ahead, we had already pre-pulled some pieces so I put some outfits together and honestly, the first thing he tried on was like the one we got so lucky. He was like, this feels right. <laughs> you know, there was the other sweater options. Um, and then we landed on this one and we needed multiples just in case. Um, so it's like from Vermont country store. I think that's wonderful website with some unique pieces. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we had the fitting on a Friday. We aged it over the weekend and you know, tried again, it was like that thing where you give it years of age, but you don't have much time to do it. But yeah, um, years in a weekend, which is a yeah, crazy thought. <laughs> he's such a legend. And it was just great to see his process, you know, to like have him try it on, feel what it feels like and wear the clothes around the fitting room. And then once he knew it was the outfit, he was like, this is the one. So that was yeah. really special. And he's got some great Hollywood stories. I hope he writes a book someday. <laughs> I hope so, too. I would read that in a second. And I mm-hmm. love this behind the scenes shot of him. He, Everyone listening can't see it, but maybe we'll share it. Um, where he's just like curled up in the sweater. It looks so comfortable. It's also such like yeah. a model shot too. I'm like, I love this I pose. <laughs> yeah, it's like editorial in like a 
insane way, right? right. Like a mental <laughs> way. You have to practice this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Amy, this has been so much fun. But I have to ask you, we play a game on this podcast called One Costume to Rule Them All, where we pick our favorite <laughs> look. Would you be willing to play with us? I know it's a little hard, but... Sure. The One Costume to Rule Them All. Okay, so I've been having a hard time with this show, actually trying to figure out what my favorite costume was. And before we talked, I said one costume, but I don't know. I feel like I'm switching back over to Eddie Munson also. (laughs) That look is just so fun. I love the idea that you had to sit around and pick uh, different bands and think about how, you know, Eddie would react to those. But I also love the milkshake dress, too, because that's such a complex look that, you know, was so difficult. And people probably thought it was, you know, just a simple throw milkshake on and go. It's not that easy. But I have to ask you, do you have a one costume rule them all? I think my answer would be yes and no. But I think it's I mean, to rule them all in what way would be my return question, because there's so (laughs) many different like categories, you know, like to rule them all for like how hard it was to make or how easy it was to achieve or how much we liked it for the actor's comfort or, right. you know, there's so many reasons. I mean, I do kind of agree with you. I'm kind of leaning towards Eddie. And I think my team was probably pretty relieved by the time I settled on all the patches and pins. Cause there were days where it'd be, okay, this pin goes here. This band is this, this, <laughs> I would change it. Nope. We have too much blue. Nope. Now we need to move it here. Like, it was painstakingly like slow for me to get it in the place that felt right. And then you know, it was like painstakingly like track it and make sure it's in the right place every time. And so right. <laughs> I, I think that as soon as I finally picked and they were like, finally, yeah. oh my gosh, she can't <laughs> stop changing her mind. <laughs> yeah. They're probably like, finally she picked. Um, so, I mean, I guess that would be right. I mean, you can't be your favorite kid, you know, I don't have kids, but yeah. I think um, <laughs> I didn't expect you to pick one, but yeah. <laughs> is but there I like a, is there like a certain costume that like maybe you found like super challenging that by the time you saw it on screen, you're like, Oh, like finally that one made it. And it turned out like really well. Yeah, kind of the 11 one, right? Because it's still kind of like, what did we do? The the dress with the plaid shirt, you know? (laughs) Right, you're like, next (laughs) season, no more milkshakes, please. (laughs) Right, right. But I think in a way that if you take time to think about the storyline and where she's come from and where she is, it does kind of show the layer of like Hawkins meets California, meets displaced, meets, you know, new girl in a new school trying to find her way. So that one took a minute to get there too, because there was a different dress fabric before we chose that one. There were other shirts, but you know, it's disjointed enough that I feel like it tells the story pretty clearly if you kind of stop to think about it. So that one was kind of challenging. (sighs) Amy, I'm so excited that you were able to join us. I'm so honored. I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so grateful for the, that you took the time and that we were able to do this. And I'm so grateful for all the time you do for all the other designers and for showcasing costume design. It's pretty challenging. So thank you for like bringing attention to it because you do a really great job of it. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's really such an honor. I love your work. And speaking of, do you have any future projects that you could maybe tease out where you could see more of Amy Paris? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm on, I'm in Vancouver right now on season two of Yellow Jackets. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's another show that I'm coming into not having started it. And it was done by Marie Schley, who did a brilliant job of setting up season one. So I get to continue that and then add in 
um, to the new season. And then there's some new characters that are new this season. So it has been challenging, but totally fulfilling. And it's a good story. So it's been fun to work on that. And I'm out in Vancouver. This is my first time working here. Wow. <laughs> well, that's so yeah. exciting. I can't wait to see it. Um, we're definitely going to have to talk again when the Yellow Jackets yeah. comes out. Amy, cool. thank you so much for joining. This has been so much fun. I'm sure everyone listening right now is in tears or screaming. <laughs> I had a good time. Thank you. Me too. I appreciate you. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Hello, Blogcast listeners. It's Elizabeth Joy Glass, co-host and producer of the Art of Costume Blogcast. If you're like me, you love to show your support with a comfy tea or tote bag. Well, now you're in luck and can show your support for the show and grab some sweet merch by heading over to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. There you can buy some awesome tea Public merch with the Blogcast logo, such as a shirt, sticker, tote bag, and a baby onesie for all your little costume mavens in the making. Thank you for all your support and head over to the Art of Costume slash pod store for all our great merch. I, I just don't even know what to say. This is by far one of my favorite interviews. I could talk to Amy forever. She's currently busy creating another incredible show. So we could only talk for so long, but honestly, we could have talked forever. Um, I just love her work designing characters such as Eddie Munson. I'm a big metal fan. So that was so much fun hearing about that milkshake dress, the roller rink. And I even got to talk about Winona Ryder for a little bit. That was more for me and less for you all. <laughs> With that, if you all love the episode, want to tell us how you feel about some of the costumes, leave us a voicemail at 626-515-1826. We don't answer the phone. Leave a voicemail and tell us what you thought and maybe we'll play it on a future episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod, TikTok at the Art of Costume. If you want to hear some bonus episodes, head to patreon.com slash the Art of Costume. The subscription price is real low, so you could get tons of bonus episodes. The merch store is also open. Theartofcostume.com slash pod store. Get yourself a hoodie. I know you want one. It's getting cold. Leave us a five-star text review on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot. Next week, Elizabeth will be back, and we have another incredible episode lined up. We are going to be talking about some of the newer horror films that have an incredible legacy the new Scream movie, and the newer Halloween movies. Yeah, that one with Jamie Lee Curtis. And we might have a little special guest on that episode with us as well. I can't wait to see you all next week, nerds. Have an incredible, spooky week.
The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash theartofcostume for some bonus content. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. Thank you.